Thanks for listening to the Woodward Podcast Network. Check out more shows by searching for us on Spreaker or wherever you catch your podcasts. The Woodward Podcast Network with Krupka Dental Associates. Hello, this is Dr. John Krupka from Krupka Dental. We now have the Soleil Laser. You can have your fillings done without needles nor drills. We are a full-service dental office and always accepting new patients. To learn more about me and my friendly team, visit KrupkaDental.com. Rob Zimmer Outdoors continuing here on WHBY on this uh, Friday afternoon. And uh, Rob, I got a call there during the break from Ron, regular listener and sometimes caller. He wonders, how many miles do you put on your vehicle a year in your travels around the area? Uh, a lot. I remember when I, was, when I was with the Post Crescent, when I had to submit my monthly mileage things, it was usually about twelve or 1,300 miles a month. So uh, that's a lot of miles in a year. So, it, like I said, about 13, sometimes even more, sometimes up to 2,000 miles a month. So, uh, it was a lot. 10,000 to 20,000 a year, I guess you could say. How do you decide on your daily trips? Do you kind of have a regular rotation, or is it just, you know what, I feel like going to such and such place today? Yeah, it depends. Um, it depends on the weather. It depends if I'm looking for something specific. Um, a lot of times, it, it sounds kind of corny, but a lot of times I just wake up and I have no idea where I'm going. I just get in my car and I go, and I'll, I'll all of a sudden think, uh, you know, if, if if we have a strong east wind, I like to go to Lake Michigan, you know, because of the big waves. Or if we, you know, like like right now, we were talking about before, it's orchid season, so I want to head up to the big bogs up north where the orchids are hiding out because orchids aren't in nice places. They're always in nasty, wet, mosquito-ridden places. Um, or, you know, when, when the monarchs are coming back, I like to go to the prairies and, and different places. So it really depends on... Um, and of course, if I'm doing columns and stuff, it depends what I need pictures of for those columns. So, yeah, a lot of times it's not really planned. <laughs> I just get in my car and I decide where I'm going to go that day. All right, I don't want to have fun. I don't want to have all of civilization trampling to some of your favorite orchid beds. But you talk yeah. about uh, <laughs> northern areas and marshy areas. What are some of the uh, hot spots then within the state? Um, there, well. Most of the orchids, some orchids are, are found, most, most of our wild orchids are found in um, actual bogs, which are, um, there's a few bogs right around here, but most of the really um, remote wild bogs are up north, you know, like Marinette County, Oconto County, Shawano County, Wapaka County has some, uh, all the way up to the Michigan border, and that's where you find a lot of the rarer, rarer species, but we can find a lot of orchids right around here. Of course, Door County, everyone thinks of the Ridges Sanctuary in Door County. That's a great place to see orchids reliably. Um, so is um, North, North uh, Newport State Park and um, some of the other ones up there where you can see a lot of lady slippers and others. Um, down in the Kettle Moraine, there's several places where you can see orchids, even down in southern Wisconsin. So, um, But the thing is, they're never, <laughs> other than at the Ridges, where you can pretty much walk down the road and, and get some great pictures and see them, they're usually not in nice, friendly places. They're in the deepest, wettest, muckiest, coldest, you know, most mosquito and tick-ridden places and deer flies and everything. And you, have, I've been up to my thighs, literally, in water to try to get pictures of some of them. So, and, and late June and July are peak orchid, month in Wisconsin, orchid months in Wisconsin, so um, it's coming fast. I know you mentioned uh, lady slippers. There are so many varieties of orchids. What are some of the main ones we have here in the state? 
Yeah, we have about 40 different species. Um, I saw 37 last year, so I was, I, I got quite a few. I, I won't even try to beat that this year because I'd, I'd just be disappointed. But um, besides the lady slippers, there's a lot of different little, they call them little green jobbers. There's a, a lot of the native orchids are just little green things that are, are gorgeous when you see them up close, but they're very small. Um, some of the showier ones are like, uh, the lady slippers and the fringed orchids, which bloom in mid-July, like the purple fringed orchid, which is uh, just incredible. It's like a, an orchid you'd find in a house. Um, and then there's some of the other ones, like the, the bog orchids and the toy blade orchids, which are really pretty. They look like little butterflies. So lots of different ones out there, but the majority of them are they're challenging because they're so small, but they are little like greenish yellow and green uh, flowering things. But uh, the challenge is finding them. Given the places you do find them, how do you take good pictures of them then? Yeah, that's another thing. A lot of times, I tell people, a lot of times I'm actually laying on the ground in water or up to my knees in bog water because you have to get down there and you have to, you know, uh, get the right angle and everything. So I, I'm usually soaking wet when I go orchid hunting. I'm, I'm literally laying in water or mud or muck, and it's, it's a challenge to get some of those pictures. Who are the main pollinators for those then? What's that? Who are the main pollinators for those? Um, a lot of them are some of our native bees. Um, ants are actually very um, good orchid pollinators. Um, ants and some of the native uh, little tiny bees and wasps. Um, snails in some places, too. Snails do a lot of orchid pollinating um, in those wet areas. They climb up into the, um, the bloom, kind of kind of you know snake around it and then go back down and go up to the next flower. So the snails are actually good pollinators, too. Wow, you don't usually think of snails. You think of them as, you know, ground-dwelling yeah. or maybe getting yep. up onto trees and leaves, but not into uh, orchids like that. Yeah, we do have some terrestrial snails, and, you know, even in the bogs where some of the orchids grow right in the standing water, the snails just climb right up there um, and pollinate them. The snails do that to water lilies, too. They pollinate water lilies. So, yeah, and some butterflies. I've seen tiger swallowtails on, on things like grass banks and lady slippers, too, so... Butterflies are pollinators of them, too. And then you mentioned that uh, they're June and July bloomers. What does the plant look like the rest of the year? Uh, it depends on the orchid. Some of them completely disappear. Some of them, if you know the leaves, you kind of know what to look for. Like lady slipper leaves are pretty distinctive and some of the others. But uh, a few of them, they just they completely go dormant and you don't see them. In fact, some orchids don't even have leaves. Like there's a group of orchids called coral roots that just send up like a, almost like a translucent stem that's kind of reddish pink with beautiful striped flowers on them, but then they have no leaves. So once they're done blooming, they're just, they're gone. Interesting. They are fascinating. So I've written two books on them. So I think there was an entire movie about someone that was hunting down um, those as well. I can't remember what the name of that was, though. Yeah. I know what, yeah, I think I know what you mean. Darn it. Now it's going to bug me. I'm going to have to Wikipedia it. During the break. Yep. <laughs> Orchid it's movies. It's also been Google. a good week for monarchs. I don't know if you, uh, on my Facebook page, I've been posting lots of pictures of monarchs this week, and I've been finding tons and tons of caterpillars. Even just today, I found lots of monarch caterpillars. So if anyone out there has, is growing milkweed for monarchs or um, has caterpillars in their yard, feel free to give us a call and let us know. Um, if we have time, I wanted to talk a little bit. Um, do we have a second or... Uh, we yeah, got uh, less than a minute here, so we can bump oh. into the next segment if you want. Okay, I just want to talk about really quick, I know the city of Nina this week, the mayor uh, proclaimed June as Monarch, Monarch, um, 
Monarch Month in Nina. So they actually are encouraging people in Nina to plant monarch uh, milkweed for monarchs and native plants. They actually came up with a whole proclamation. I don't know if you guys had it on, on the news there or not, but it was pretty cool. Um, he has all these proclamations like, whereas this and this and this and this, um, he uh, designates, uh, proclaims June 2020 as Monarch Butterfly Month and encourages all citizens of Nina to plant native plants, native milkweeds, and blooming flowers. So that was pretty cool. I signed that on June 11th by Mayor Dean Crawford. So good job, Nina. And of course, May, May, um, we just had No More May in Appleton too, which uh, served kind of the same purpose. So uh, I love that a lot of these communities in our area are working to save and help butterflies and other pollinators too. Yeah, driving around Appleton, though, I still see some people who think it's No More May. So yeah. you need to get out there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, uh, we need to take a break here, Rob, but we'll be back with more of Rob Zimmer Outdoors in just a moment on WHBY. But now it's time for a news break. Back on Rob Zimmer Outdoors, brought to you by Brookdale Senior Living. Jonathan Carlson for Haley 10 Pass today, and Rob jumps back on with us here at the uh, Settlers Bank phone line. And Rob, I kind of cut you off there. You wanted to talk a little bit more, I think, about uh, monarch butterflies and them moving back into our area at this time? Yeah, just just asking people if they're as I am, because I've been seeing a lot of monarchs. I know a lot of my Facebook followers say they, they raise them at home and collect eggs and caterpillars and stuff, and just wondering if people are seeing any, because I'm seeing a lot this week. Um, caterpillars are getting pretty big pretty fast, too. They're getting pretty plump, uh, eating all that milkweed that's up. So if you're seeing monarchs, give us a call uh, and let us know. Um, also, any baby birds or anything that are coming to your feeder, some of the Orioles and Robins, and someone was telling me today they had a uh, morning dove who brought two little baby morning doves to their feeder. So uh, everybody's raising families right now this time of year, so... Um, if you're seeing baby monarchs, baby monarchs, yeah, monarch caterpillars or monarchs, uh, give us a call. Um, also, something else I want to change directions a little bit, if I can. If you have uh, a favorite theme garden idea, an idea for a theme garden that you have always wanted to try or that you've tried and went well, give us a call, too. I want to hear from you. Um, part of what I want to talk about the next part of the show is um, garden design tips, because I get a lot of questions from people who... They, you know, they don't know what two plants to put together, what plants to put together in the garden. And I always try to get them to do some sort of a theme um, or try to because it's really fun for, for all ages. So if you have a favorite theme garden idea that you've uh, either tried um, or want to try, you know, like a lot of people do chocolate gardens or um, red, white, blue gardens or herb gardens or pizza gardens, all sorts of fun stuff. Um, if you have one, give us a call. Yeah, 281-1150 or 1-866-887-1150 are the phone numbers on the Settlers yeah. Bank phone lines. I know it doesn't help you, but uh, my uncle, who uh, passed away recently, he used to do a rosary garden. But I'm thinking you're more along the lines of uh, combinations of plants, not just an actual design. Oh, no, I, lo- I love that rosary okay. garden idea, too. You mean the shape of the garden? Yes. Or, yeah, it was kind oh, of tiered, yeah. if you will, and then the stones represented each of the beads that would be on the uh, rosary chain. Yes. See, that's perfect. And, and I know people do that, and people will try to make the, um, they do gardens and crosses and things like that, yep. too. Or maybe they incorporate all plants that have, you know, the name angel in them. Like, there's a lot of plants that have the name angel in it, or, or church, or, you know, things like that. So people do um, all sorts of theme gardens. Sometimes it's just by the name of the plant. 
what are, what are some good plants to put into theme gardens like that that stay, I'll say, under control, especially if you're going for something in the lines of design? Yeah, that's actually a good question. There, there's uh, when it comes to garden design, you know, there's a lot of different elements to it that you you want to look for. Um, and I look for specific plants to kind of bring out some of these things. So, you know, one of the elements of garden design is texture. So you want to have plants of different textures. If you have all plants that have the same leaf texture, the same flower texture, um, you know, it might not work as well as if you combine different textures, you know, like maybe you have some ornamental grasses, which are excellent, excellent plants for, uh, for garden design. Um, as long as you choose the nice clumping ones, because there are uh, the, the rhizome grasses that spread like crazy and people hate those. But if you get the nice clumping grasses, like some of the miscanthus and other ones, um, or native grasses like prairie drop seed and little blue stem um, and the little blue fescues that stay in nice clumps, those are excellent, excellent plants um, for, for garden design. Um, the other one is the form of the plant, um, whether it's round or kind of sprawling or whether it's upright. You know, is it, is it thin and columnar or is it wide and, uh, and sprawling? You, you, you want to combine those two together, not just have them all the same, the same shape. Um, vertical interest, talking about tall plants, you know, you always want to have something vertical interest, and it doesn't always have to be a plant. It could be some sort of hardscaping, you know, a, a trellis or a, an obelisk or something like that, or even a ladder. Some people use ladders, you know, really creatively in their garden, um, or even a shepherd's hook, um, or a fence or a shed, something like that, something just to get some vertical interest in there so they're not all the same height. Um, foliage is another element of garden design. There's so many different plants that have different colors and textures and, and shapes and sizes of foliage. So, again, mixing and matching different, different foliage types, like um, some of your coleus are excellent for, for foliage. Some of the hostas that have the seersuckering or pebbly, pebbly uh, texture to them. Um, again, some of the grasses have, have excellent uh, foliage, too. Um, and some of your, your vines, like um, I'm thinking of licorice vine and some of those that have the really fuzzy texture. Um, lamb's ears that have the really pretty t uh, texture, um, and some of the ferns that are really lacy and graceful. Uh, so those are all different types of foliage that you can add. And then, of course, you can put in tropical foliage, like really dramatic plants, like huge um, black elephant ears or, or bananas or um, hibiscus or canna lilies, things like that, uh, for just some really stunning, stunning foliage. And How of much course, consideration do you have to give to the fact that some plants need a lot more water than other ones. Yes, yep. So, so one of the things you want to know, you know, as you're, as you're designing your garden, you want to know your, your light conditions, know the light conditions that you have, and know the light conditions that the plant needs, and your watering conditions. Know the watering conditions that that plant needs, um, and know what kind of soil you have. Um, a lot of plants are, uh, there are some plants that are very fussy, especially some of your annuals uh, that need a lot of water to be, look, to, to be kept looking good. Most of your perennials, though, they really don't need a lot of water. They, you can just let Mother Nature do the work, water them once when you plant them in, and then after that, Mother Nature pretty much, pretty much takes care of perennials. So uh, your annuals need a lot more um, intervention as far as watering uh, than some of your perennials do. Um, and grasses, too, are, are very um, tolerant of going dry for long periods of time. And, of course, any succulents or sedums, you don't have to water much, but... It's, it's a lot of those really big, colorful annuals, you know, like your petunias and lantanas and geraniums and um, those kind of plants that need a lot more water and a lot more care. 
What tips so, do you have for people who may want to go? Um, I know my when I growing up, my mother always had rock gardens where rocks formed each of the layers. How do you keep all of that tight so that you don't have erosion taking all of your soil outside of the garden formation? Yeah, it, it, again, it depends on the type of soil too. If it's heavy clay, you're you're good. Um, and and when you say rock, are, they, are you talking like big boulders or just like? No, they were more along the size of I would say, well, smaller than basketballs, maybe about volleyball size. Oh, so some nice size rocks then. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and depending what you put in between those rocks, some of those plants actually need very little soil. Like some of your succulents and herbs um, and creeping, like things like creeping thyme and some of the creeping sedums and succulents and hens and chicks, they really need, you know, maybe a little bottle cap of soil and that's all they need to get really big. So that's why those kind of plants work so good in rock gardens because you can just tuck a little pot of, pocket of soil in there, plant in it, and, and that's all you need to do. Um, if you're putting bigger plants in there, like some of the grasses and some of the perennials, um, they would need some bigger pockets of soil that you could kind of even, um, a lot of people will just sometimes set the container right in there and then put the rocks around it. Um, or they'll actually make a, a big pocket, uh, a bigger pocket within the rocks and then kind of use the rocks to hold that soil in place, um, depending what you're planting. Again, like some, uh, if you're going to go with bigger perennials, they do need more soil than some of the creeping um plants and a lot of people use like miniature plants in rock gardens things that flow and and um, just kind of go wild naturally and just kind of flow through and those really don't need a lot of soil can is it possible to put together a southwest style garden here in wisconsin with our climate could a cactus or some of those related plants make it through definitely yep in fact we have native cactus here in wisconsin a couple different species um, and a lot of people have them, and, and they grow amazingly. And right now, they're just starting to bloom, too. Uh, the prickly pear cactuses, which have the great big yellow flowers um, that are actually edible, those are actually hardy in Wisconsin. Um, I know Ledgeview Nature Center has a huge patch of those out there uh, in Shelton. They have a great big prickly pear um, patch. And Stone Silo Prairie Gardens up in uh, De Pere has a big prickly pear um, cactus uh, patch, too, and they sell those there. So, um, And there's a lot of succulents and sedums that are hardy here. Uh, things like some of the hens and chicks and a lot of our sedums, which are actually succulents that uh, they have the uh, the succulent-like foliage and then they bloom in the fall. Those all give you kind of a southwest look. Um, and then, of course, you can add different rocks and, you know, sandstone and limestone and, and different colors and textures of even sand and, and pea gravel and stuff to give it that look. Um, and then you can always throw in a couple uh, tropical plants that you would have to bring in during the winter, but that you can leave outside all summer like some of the uh, some of the agaves and some of the indoor succulents and you know things like um, uh, pencil cactus and um, even cannas look good in a, in a kind of a southwest theme garden um, and you can put them in fancy planters or you can plant them right in the ground and then just pop them up in the fall and bring them in um, but you yeah you can very easily create a southwest looking garden uh, right here I'm thinking that's a theme I'd go with because that seems to be like the lowest maintenance required. Yep, yep, and things like jade, you know, jade plants that you can buy, and, and just, again, just put them outside for the summer, uh, and then bring them back in after Labor Day or so if you have if you have room. I know I know a couple of people who have literally hundreds of cactuses that they put in their sunroom all summer, all winter long, and they put them all outside on their porch and patio um, in in the summer, and they they're just stunning. And, and of course, then they bloom in the spring and they look amazing. Um, yeah, so. Uh, a lot of people actually do that around here. So, And then the different styles of rocks and boulders and sand and everything 
uh, you can create some pretty cool cool things. I, I know a couple of people even then have the, uh, you know, like you see in some of the, the movies where they have the big um, buffalo or, or bull skull. With the, oh, yeah, the horns yep, the horns, yep. Yeah, yeah. so they have that in there, too. So uh, pretty cool. In the wagon and wheel. Yeah, yeah, the wagon wheels, yeah, exactly. And All right, Rob, we need to take one more break. What do you want to cover here in our final segment coming up? Oh, gosh. Um, I'll talk more about uh, some of my favorite plants for designing with, uh, some of my favorite annuals, perennials, and tropical plants for designing with in your garden. All right, sounds good. We still have time to get a few calls in here yet. 281 or one 887 1150 are the numbers to call. You're listening to Rob Zimmer Outdoors on WHBY, brought to you by Brookdale Senior Living. Rob Zimmer Outdoors rolling on here on WHBY. Final segment, your last chance to join Rob and ask your questions on gardening matters or anything uh, involved with nature at the Settlers Bank phone lines, 281-1150 or 1-866-887-1150. And Rob, before uh, the break, you mentioned you wanted to talk on a few more of your favorite plants you like to use for theme gardening. Yes, and I have one more thing to come up really quick because I got this couple this question a couple times this week. Um, a lot of people right now are seeing turtles crossing the road because it's turtle nesting season. And I always get the question, you know, what way do you, you, do you put them when you pick them up and move them? You always want to put them in the direction they were going because otherwise they're going to turn around and go that way again. So um, kudos to all of you who are stopping and picking up turtles in the road and moving them across the road. Uh, I love that. Unfortunately, I have seen a few this week that people weren't so nice. And, uh, you know, I don't know how you can hit a turtle, but, but they do. And um, But thank you to all of those who have asked the questions and who are uh, picking up turtles and saving them from the road. Um, as they're trying to get to their nesting places. So that June, middle of June especially, is peak time for that. So we're right in that season right now. And uh, just move them in the direction they were going. Okay, so some of my favorite plants. I just want to talk about some of my favorite, especially for shade, because one of the most common questions I get is uh, people want to know what to put in shade besides hostas. And there are a lot of different things you can put in, in shade gardens besides, excuse me, besides hostas. So things like uh, your coleus, all the different coleus. And there are some amazing coleus varieties out there in all different colors and reds and purples and lime greens and all different colors. Those are great. Um, there are several ornamental grasses for shade. Um, Northern sea oats is a great one for shade. Uh, the blue fescue does great in shade. Uh, one called Japanese forest grass is excellent for shade. It's a beautiful kind of lime green and gold. Um, it, it's just a beautiful grass that kind of flows over. Uh, so that's a good one. Um, some of the other ones for shade, shade especially, Excuse me, I just ate some dogwood. So <laughs> I'm sitting in my car, and I have the windows open. and or Not dogwood, cottonwood. Cottonwood, I'm yes, I was going to say. In my <laughs> car, and I just breathed it right in. So <laughs> uh, so for the shade, some of your ferns are really good, too. Northern maidenhair fern and Japanese painted fern, and all of these just work so well together in, in shade gardens. You really don't even have to have a plan with some of these. Just space them two feet apart and let them go. Um so many nice ones for the shady, shady spots. So coral bells, of course, there's all different colors of coral bells. There's gold ones and red ones and orange ones and caramel-colored ones and um, all sorts of those. <laughs> Liguillaria, which is another great plant for shade, great big leaves like lily pad leaves um, and then beautiful yellow flowers. So those are some of the great ones for shade. Uh, some of my other favorite uh, design plants in general, you know, one of, my, one of my pet peeves is when you drive around town and you see the same two or three plants in everyone's garden, you can tell that they had a landscaper do it. You know, it's usually your Stelladora daylilies and your, you know, Carl Forrester grass and your purple cone flowers. And 
it's just kind of funny when you see that in everybody's garden. So I want people to think of different plants to put in there to, to kind of set themselves apart. Um, and some of those are um, like um, some of the Coreopsis. The Coreopsis are just amazing plants right now. They're coming up with so many new ones. Uh, Moonbeam is a popular one that has really lacy foliage that's been out there for a while. Um, some of the hostas, hostas people think of as a shade plant, but there are a lot of hostas out there that take full sun and that just look amazing in sun. So don't be afraid to put some of those in the sun. Um, asters, a lot of your asters, especially for fall, uh, those are great. Um, elderberries, elderberry shrubs, there's so many fancy um, uh, cultivated varieties now. There's lemony lace and black lace and all of these other ones that are just beautiful and they're great ornamental shrubs. Um, nine barks are one of my favorite um, ornamental shrubs. They come in so many different colors now. There's wine-colored ones. There's black ones. There's lime green ones. Those are excellent. Um, tall phlox, which is a great late, later, later in summer bloomer, say from July through Halloween. You get those big plumes of color. That's another great one to design with. <laughs> Excuse me. The sedums and succulents, which make great, great plants, and especially when you plant them in mass. Uh, they look beautiful together. Um, I can't read my writing here. Oh, houseplants. I want to talk about houseplants, too. One of the biggest trends in garden design right now is actually putting houseplants outdoors, either on their own, um, in their pots, and then move them back in after Labor Day. Or what people are doing more and more is actually putting houseplants right in their uh, annual containers. So they're mixing houseplants with containers, uh, annual plants in containers, things like snake plants and crotons and diffenbachias and um, palms and some of those other ones, bananas, um, you put those in your annual container where you'd normally put, you know, a boring little spike or something like that. Put a nice house plant in there, and it just sets that whole um, arrangement apart. And, of course, just make sure you bring them in uh, after Labor Day or so. Uh, when it gets to be 50 degrees or colder, they don't like that, uh, anything colder than that mostly. But um, house plants are actually a really increasingly popular uh, choice for using in containers, and um, I've done whole programs on that on using houseplants in containers. And if you just Google it, you'll see some amazing, amazing uh, examples of that. <laughs> um, and, of course, oh, Rob, we got to got to wrap up for the week here. I apologize. Oh, okay. But if someone wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way? Yep. Um, I'm on Facebook at Rob Zimmer Outdoors. You can find me there. Um, uh, that's probably the best place to find me is there. And I'm, I'm there pretty much every day posting pictures and stuff of what I see outdoors uh, every day on the road, pictures of plants and animals and bugs and uh, monarch caterpillars and all sorts of stuff. So, all right, Rob, check me out there. Yeah, you all bet. I right. uh, appreciate it, and we'll talk to you again uh, next week. All right. All right. Stay Thank safe you. out there. Again, yeah, Rob Zimmer too. outdoors here on WHBY, brought to you by Brookfield Senior Living. CBS News at the top of the hour. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.